podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Chills Podcast Special. Joining us tonight, we have Mr. Andy Saunders. Hello. And then we have the Chelsea historian, Mr. Rick Glanville. And what makes this Chelsea podcast special so special? It's our special guest, Mr. Paul Cannaville. Hey! I'm getting that book straight out. So we have got him with his book, uh, Black and Blue. That's my personal copy, by the way. That is your personal copy. It's, is that because it's sold out everywhere? It is, yeah. It is. Where can you get the book, Rick? You can get it on Kindle. Right. It's called Black and Blue by Paul Cannaville. But it's also called Black and Blue, How Racism, Drugs and Cancer Almost Destroyed Me. Yeah. By Paul Cannaville. It yeah. is. It's on headline. You can... Any Kindle outlet. And I think it's uh, available as any digital download, actually. So uh, search for Paul Cannaville, Black and Blue, and you'll find it. And, and, and we can be quite open about this. You, you helped Paul write the book, is that right? You were, what I was did. That? How, did you, how did you guys meet? You know, funny, let me tell you this story, because um, being reintroduced back at the, the bridge, and that was 2004, that um, myself, I'm going to be honest, I was kind of embarrassed, because obviously what I've been going through, and I thought Chelsea didn't know, but everybody was aware of it. Um, so when starting back at Chelsea, it was a case of working in the ETF, the um, Education Through Football programme. And then Rick came along, and I think I had an interview with um, our boy. Oh God, and no, you're, TV. you're missing. No, you're missing out a really important bit. What was the important bit? <laughs> <laughs> that I heard you were in a. I was dropping notes through your flat. Oh my God! For you ages and ages and ages. You knew where I lived. Fair, uh, what, in Fairfield, Fairfield Road. Fairfield Road. Stalky kind of In Archway. When I was. Uh, I, Good. I'll start with actually. Shall we start this all again? Yeah. <laughs> Do you two actually know how you met? When I was when I was writing the official biography of of Chelsea FC in two thousand four five, the centenary book, um, I was really determined to track Paul down because he'd gone off the radar, and we knew that he'd had problems with drugs and with cancer, and no one really knew where he was. I'd heard someone told me that. It was a carpet fitter, actually. <laughs> he told me that he was fitting some carpet in a halfway house, Paul. And, Victoria, he, and he's yeah. a Chelsea fan, and he recognised Paul. This was about 1998, 99 yeah. or something. And he, was, he looked over and went, Excuse me, mate, are you Paul Cannaville? No, 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 I'm not. <laughs> I gave him that, yeah, but, nah. but then they got talking, and he, he said, Oh, I loved you as a player, mate, and you put up with an awful lot. No, no, anyway... I heard this from this this uh, carpet fitter told me about it, and I said, "Where was he?" And he said he was in like this halfway house. I said, "Where was it?" So I rang I rang them up and tried to find him, and they gave me a forward they gave me uh, an address yeah. forward an address. I looked you up in the electoral roll. Paul Cannaval was registered to vote, which is good. You were, yeah. Damn. And I, I was put I was determined to tell his story, so I was putting notes through his Damn. door. Uh, time and time again, and d- didn't get any anything. And then you, uh, the it was your sister that contacted the club for the centenary yeah. events. Your lovely sister, your lovely you sister. She and she 
said, you're doing Chelsea, you're doing this um, centenary, you haven't got, you haven't invited the first black player for Chelsea Football Club, my brother, Paul Cannaville. So Paul was mm. invited along. And um, we met, and I said to Paul, come on, let's, let's meet for lunch. We met in Crouch End, didn't we? Yeah. And I sat him down and I said, Paul, if we get this book right, it will change your life. It will, you'll it have to be media trained. You'll be appearing on TV, radio, and podcasts. <laughs> Very <laughs> no, important. Well, we did get did. the book right. We did get the book right. So what but we... it wasn't the book that changed Paul. It was Paul that changed okay. Paul. Paul made the transformation himself. And that is why he's such a, a great personality now and why the book has been such a great success. Why did you resist these notes through the letterbox for so long? Um, because I'd moved. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the notes. I'd moved. I was going, but there's me thinking you had some existential angst and you didn't want to do it, but you'd moved. You were no, but you've got to understand. I was back me back in my mum's, and that's what I'm trying to say to you. When he asked me about Paul doing about an autobiography, I said, "You what? Are you sure?" You said, "No one knows who I am." No, that's what I was saying. I'm telling you, you, you had to recognise obviously how I parted, how I left. It was a case of. Yeah, forgotten. And yes, not too long at Reading and got me injury and that was it for me. It was downhill. You retired at 24, didn't you? 24, 25. 24 years old and you'd in retired. Peak, man. Yeah. You, you don't know how that felt. And I was gutted. Um, and what did that do to your self-esteem? Oh, man. Low, depressed, um, hadn't done enough. I mean, just the start of my real career. Yeah, it was like... That was a living for me, and it was life. And you didn't get your insurance either, did you, which may have given you a... Gutted. You know. But, um, yeah, don't get me wrong, the start of this, to ask, that's what I was trying to say, because for me, if you've read the book, it's not just about football. It's about me growing up yeah. as a kid, and my mum bringing me up. And my mum played a lot, a part, a big part, and I had to ask her permission. And this was the killer. Because <laughs> me and my mum don't talk too much, so... It's like asking her, uh, my first initial was asking her, she's going to say, nope. And so, here what, we can't write this book unless I get permission. But why, me, did you, why did you feel you had to ask permission? Because it was about her. Oh, I see. Right. It was about her. Right, and for her, all right, you've got to understand this. In the Caribbean situation, family, your business is your business. It stays in its four walls. And that's how I've been brought up. I couldn't share with you, like, if you came to me and said, how are you doing, Paul? And I was upset. I'd say, yeah, I'm great, because I couldn't talk to you and it really express how I'm feeling, because that's what my mum said. It stays in the four walls. So for me to say, like, now I'm going to be talking about my mum, my me, and this, I'm thinking, boy, I need permission. So doing the thing that you usually do, you go and ask, don't you? But I didn't. I asked my sister to go and ask. So, <laughs> so my sister, yeah, go and ask mum. See if it's all right. We can write the book. Said, go on, please. So my sister went, and I was so surprised. She came straight back, and she said, mum, don't mind. And I was shocked. And I remember when... Well, do you remember your mum said, just to give a bit of background about Paul's <laughs> mum and the relationship they had, he, she used to work every hour yeah. God gave her to try and make ends meet in, the, in Southall, but... She used to leave the two children on their own and they used to and lock them into their room. And then Paul used to climb out of a window and into a kitchen and raid the biscuit <laughs> barrel and stuff. 
And she only realised, when I spoke to your mum, she said she only realised about ten years later yeah. that actually what children most need is love. She'd never thought that you have to give children love. And yeah. that was a, quite a, a revelation. A to, yeah. <laughs> that was the type of parent she was, or non-parent. And she, don't get me wrong, she has apologised to me, my sister. But that was how she was brought up in the Caribbean. It was very disciplined, very sturdy, and you made sure you got on to do what you had to do, and that's what she brought over to England. She didn't understand, this ain't working, Mum. You know what I mean? And we're going to be defensive, don't I? And I was. It was like every minute. For me, I was an up-and-coming footballer down in Southall in Middlesex. It was unbelievable. I was putting the papers everywhere, and everybody saw the talent in me. But it wasn't them I wanted to show. It was my parents. I wanted them to see how good I was. And they never used to come out and see me play at all. They never. And it was the same thing when I come home after playing a great game. Yep, you've done your chores and not even discuss how I got on. So that's how it was and for a long while, you know what I mean? So to express that in the book, it was like, I couldn't trouble him. He must have had his dictaphone for three hours. He stopped me and said, Paul, that's enough. Man, I've got some more. I've got some more. Don't stop me now. <laughs> he said, leave it till next week. I can't write and leave that got, next week. I wanted to... Seriously, got about 15 hours seriously. Of, of Paul's... Then, uh, what, I couldn't stop. What, what I found was really interesting because um, I don't know, how many people have read this book here? That's quite a that's few. That's not so enough. That's not quite a few. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, uh, how yeah. many of you got iPads or Kindle machines so you can go and get anything? No, don't get Kindles, man. No, get order the, books, the books. Except they're not I've got a number, here. and I but, can give that number that you can order the book from because it, it, nothing's better than having the book yeah. itself and reading. And don't get me wrong, we were just talking about this. I've not even read my own book. That's too <laughs> much I'm showing you because I think I know. What's in it? I really know. But I had a book signing last week and it was emotional for me because it was in amongst friends and family that I was actually meeting. It's not like a Q&A when I'm talking to the Chelsea fans. It was great. But this was family and friends. And I had to read out four pages. And it was difficult for me. I couldn't believe because I was reading that. I did that. <laughs> Whoa. And it was, the gulp was going from... I was swallowing and I was like, my gosh. So I now need to read... Our yeah. book, Rick. Well, <laughs> well you should because it's a really good read. Thank and, you. And I well, think you what's, met... what's interesting yeah, is sorry. that I think you know this is a book that you see. Oh, it's a footballer's done his autobiography. Well, it really isn't. It, it's a. It's a really. I mean, the first. It, you don't even talk about Chelsea other than the first couple of pages. You don't talk about football particularly for the first hundred and twenty odd pages. You're yeah. setting the scene of a time, of a place, of an emotion. Um, and it is a really intriguing read because it sets so much up for how things ended up altering during the 70s and 80s. And how, as you were saying, Andy, earlier, how actually it starts putting into context what's actually happening today. It's a very relevant book to today. And I, th- I, th- I think there is, there is no other footballer who's written a book like this. There, there just isn't anything like this I think it's an extraordinary read and I really do urge you to, to go out and get it and read it I think it's, I think it's an, an extraordinary story and it's extraordinarily well written and um, yeah. I think my point being about how it echoes what's happening today those were tough economic times yeah. you know you came from a 
poor background. You said your mum, you know, was working very hard. Dad wasn't around. Um, and, you know, you, you got up to some nonsense yourself. You know, you went out there. You, you know, you, you, know you, you got involved in things. You actually went to Borstal, didn't you, yeah. for, um, for a while? And yeah, um, was, how was that? Short, sharp, shock. You know what? That was an eye-opener. I'm not used to being locked up. Well... Not unless, not unless it's in the bedroom <laughs> with the missus. But, um, nah. Which one? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you would bring that up. Anyway. <laughs> that's why we love him. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> At the Boston, trust me, that was an eye-opener. The first time, because you couldn't get out to say go to the newspaper, to the the corner shop. This was like nine to five, locked up, eight o'clock, get out, stop out, and then go and get changed and fold your clothes, fold your bed. It was like, wow, this is an opener. But um, this is something I was prepared to adjust. Um, I needed it, to be honest. Um, but the best thing was my football. And they had a football team in there, and that was great. On a Sunday, we played football. We played um, a team from outside that used to come in. And um, one of the games I was playing, I played this game, and I scored 10. It was 11-0, and I scored 10. <laughs> you can't believe it. And it, one of the screws, and we, that's what we call him, one of the screws, he said, man, you're good. You're really good. You want to take up this career professionally? I said, yeah. He said, why don't you go and play for Chelsea? I looked at him, are you mad? <laughs> and I can't believe, where did I end up playing? Yeah. You know what I mean? So maybe he's there watching me because he can realise, I know that boy. But yeah, it's all good. But before, but, before that, you played for Hillingdon Borough. So how did that, how did that come about? Um, the late Ron Stewart, is it Ron Stewart? Ron Stewart, sorry. He came um, and spotted me down at Chelsea. But you've got to understand, um, I was, went to West Brom, I went to Southampton. Um, Wimbledon and um, it was funny um, Southampton Laurie McMenemy hey yeah. you ever got it or you haven't and that's all he said to me <laughs> <laughs> and there I was on the left like supplying like the the twin brothers oh god what were they called Wallace, Wallace brothers and George is it George Lawrence remember me? and I was kicking on supplying every minute and I was scoring and I thought yeah I've done well eh? but nobody says anything and so you left, you left lost kind of thing. What's going on? So I went and back to And you were really by yourself, weren't you? I was. You know, Nobody was really like, next to me to say if I could talk to, to or like, yeah. support and say, do this and do that. It was alone. So I went from there. Wimbledon came in and I said, like, yeah, we want you. Um, we're prepared to give you £45 a week. £45? <laughs> I get most on a dole. I said, no, nah, that's not happening. So when Chelsea came in, it was like the first week, unbelievable. I trained and I thought the same thing was going on there because I trained and I was getting on. I've got to admit, I, I kind of cheated because I didn't want to do anything wrong. So as soon as I got the ball, I did the little shimmy and gave it back. So you, you couldn't see me do anything wrong. Now, they've got me down there as a winger. So I'm really supposed to take them on, but I just didn't want to because I just didn't want to do anything wrong. Um, so that was the first week and then I thought, nobody come back to me. Graham Wilkins, wasn't it? The second week yeah. when I went back. And that's when one came back to me and said, no, man, we're interested, come back. So I came back, and Graham Wilkins was on the, the right back. And I was doing the same thing again, putting it back to Kansas, man. They don't want to see that. Take me on. 
And so I said, are you sure? He says, yeah, take me out. No, are you sure? Because if I take you on, <laughs> you don't know. I just dropped the shoulder and I was gone. You know what I mean? But I have to give him that because it was him that encouraged me to do that. Um, and from there it went on and Friday I'll never forget it I can see it right now Friday Canners you wanted at the office and you remember where I don't know if you ever turned the tour that you see where the room is now the changing rooms right there to the right used to be the manager's room and so I remember standing outside thinking boy I don't know what this is but have I done it or not <laughs> and I went in there and I'm giving you this Johnny New accent I lad we're like what we see <laughs> and we're going to give you signing to the seven months for the rest of the seven months and we'll see you after and you don't know for that it was a blessing I cried it was a dream I couldn't wait to get out I made the phone calls I've done it I've signed a professional forms <laughs> and that was at a late age of 21 because mm. I thought at 16 to 18 if I wasn't chosen then I thought that was it you never get a chance like that. So, and he got signed from Pillingborough for five five grand, I think it was. They, yeah. they got for it. That's quite and a lot of money for them. Five grand. Yeah. They told me fifteen. The cheeky bastards. <laughs> no, anyway, I, I discussed that when I was him. <laughs> anyway, nah, but you know, what I mean, I didn't know nothing more than that. And and you got to understand back then, nobody knew. Oh, I didn't know about agents and so forth. You know, what I mean, you saw everything yourself, and that's how it was. Um, what they offered me, I said, yeah. Because I've never seen that amount of money. Don't get me wrong. And it was like playing football, game that you enjoy. Come on, man, I'm taking that. So it was to prove myself. And yeah. And, and were you? Were you have, sorry, Kerry? Were you? Were you having issues at that time? Were you starting to have demons at that point, or no. were you just a fully focused professional? Oh, that, that was focused. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Um, when I say focused, it was like in the week from Monday to Friday to Saturday and played. That was me concentrating football. But then you've got to let your hair down. So I used to obviously play my little sounds. I used to play out. We used to play out parties and dance. And that was my only kind of remorse. Not remorse, but that's, yeah, enjoyment. Because I loved music so much. And it just releases me. It don't matter if I'm angry or if I'm, music for me was, yeah, my content. Did so, football do the same thing for you as music? Football, football done where I had to... For me, it was a case of, here I am, given a chance being a professional footballer my dream but obviously coming there it was like breaking in the first team I had to prove and that's what it was every game went after receiving the first the, well, my debut it was like oh my god I might have to go through that regular <laughs> and it was like every game to me I had to tell myself I've got to prove a lot better than the rest of the squad to make these fans adjust and to like me and that was the difficult thing about it. And for me, it was like when I got on the pitch, it was like I had to make sure my first touch was on. If I had my first touch, I'm going to have a great game. If it wasn't, oh, my God, I'm nervous. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. These boys are going to kill me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was like, you know what? The talk was, it was most of my cousin, my friends, that gave me the hassle. Why you want to play here for? Canada, they don't want you. Look at the... And it was me, assistant. No, man, you don't know. It's not just every fan. Come on, man. We have that in every club. Would you think I'm going to leave here and go to the next one? No. Um, and that's what I had to prove to them. I'm staying here. And it was... How hard was that, Paul? I mean, let's Paul. not shy away from it. I mean, these were difficult, dark days when... <sighs> 
you know, when the issue of race was paramount, when, you know, black players were given a very hard time, how difficult was it for you as a 21-year-old black young man to deal with it, not just from fans, but from other players, from institutional racism, from the club, presumably? I mean, how difficult was that? You lined a lot there, boy, because um, I probably didn't show it, and that was me trying to play calm. That was me not to show anybody that I'd concern or I was right about it, but I was um, going home. It was constant on my mind. What can I do better to make them, you know what I mean, like me, support me? Oh, do I do this? I come in with the support and with my teammates, and the teammates were great, don't get me wrong, because it was just a normal day. We just trained and got on with it. But it was like every Saturday, it was like, for me, I'm thinking, oh, God, what's it going to be like now? What am I going to do? It, you don't even know incidents. I and mean, if anybody saw my career back then, I remember at the bridge, and I've always been drawn for, like, I was number 12, and it was cool, don't get me wrong. And the idea was to bring me on and change the game. Great. But the times that going past the East End, every time, toys, can just go and get warmed up? And it was like regretting the guy. Do I have to? <laughs> and I'm like, going, and just going past them every time. Nigga, sit down. Nigga, go home. Walk, get. And I just said, <laughs> And you don't know that smile. I just want to get over there, but let me not show you that side. And then, then it was warming up at the back, and which now with Matthew Harding, but there was a goal and there was the the piece of green that's behind. I'm stretching and I'm taking my time stretching. And, and it's when Ian McNeil and Cannons, Cannons! And I could see he's calling me, but I said, Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I weren't going back in no hurry. And I'm, I'm joking, I'm not even joking. This was like 10 minutes they were calling me and I could see them, but I just stretched, stretched just because I didn't want to go back past that same East End. And that did it in the choice every time. And it was like, Boy, the confidence that I had to dwell up in myself every match, every game, I said, Paul, you've got to play better. You've got to play better. So, um, when that, obviously, we all know the game that kind of changed it, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and it was a nervous day for me because I was meeting my old man for the first time. Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing story. So yeah, I mean, the whole setup of that. I mean, not oh, only man. one of the great games, but then your father, who you hadn't seen yeah. for how long? Well, 21, 20, yeah, 21 years. Um, so since you were basically a baby. Born, yeah, he left. And you don't know how hard he was thinking, oh, my God, I'll meet my old man. And through that, it was going in my head, what am I going to say to this guy? What are we going to talk about? Not thinking, concentrating on the game. Um, but I knew already that I was going to be number 12. Um, and it was funny, like, oh, I'm sitting down there. And it's funny because um, we saw one nil up and then Sheffield went at two nil up. And I thought, we could still come back from that. And I was all three nil up. I said, oh, shit. <laughs> and I, there's this woman, I'm no joke, this woman was literally giving me, me and Keith Jones, sweets every time they scored. Don't worry. Get me next time. Every time. And we thought, shit, we ain't coming back from this, John. Oh, it's freeing him down. So now I'm seeing this score now, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. And I'm still thinking of my old man, thinking, what am I going to do when he gets there? How am I going to notice him? But 2-2 two, two, anyway, changed the, the play. Kenners, you're on. Take off Colony, Dell just was in. And um, yeah, that was instincts. Don't get me wrong, I remember it. Joey knocked back to him, and he just hit it. Kerry or Speedy. And I was just 
following the ball and I got in front of Damon and that's where that confidence come in now because I'm in front of goal and I've got to score to change this. And it was just hitting it low to the keeper's right that it went in. Well, I was fucking surprised. Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. You think I'm joking? I was bloody surprised. I just kind of turned around quick for the... Yeah, we got that one. Come on, boys. Come on. Let's go. And it was. Every attack, we was just like... We could have scored. So, um, yeah, the score that forfeit. And what a great celebration for the, uh, oh, the next girl. Yeah, everybody thought that. It wasn't, it wasn't like a hand salute, you know. It was just, just me. I was kind of... I know he's going to ask this question. Can I ask a question? I was there that day, and I totally agree with you, that you did win the fans over that day. That day. Yeah. Just so that anyone, because we're doing the podcast, so the question or the comment was that... Uh, Somebody in the, in the audience here was there that day, and he says that that was the day that you won the fans over. Did it, it feel so like that for you? Well, I didn't know until we played, I think it's Watford at home, and the likes of Luther Blissett and John Barnes is playing. Now, the tackle, I was just on the right, I gave Luther Blissett a tackle. <laughs> now, I don't usually tackle, but I took him and ball out into the A stand and it was like yeah you, you take that you get up and you drop back and that's when I heard my name from the shed this is the notorious shed <laughs> I'm calling my name Canaville I was it. now I'm trying to concentrate on this football now but I can hear the name I'm thinking damn have they got this right <laughs> so you can imagine right this is the first half and I went in the second in the changing room for the, for the, for the half there and the boys mentioned it. They said, Canners, did you hear? They're calling your name, mate. You're one of us. <laughs> and it's funny, I just, but boys, I've always been one of you. <laughs> it's like that. And I, but to notice, yeah, you don't know how that felt. I didn't let on to anybody, but to actually have the shed call my name, you don't know how many times I used to come out and then when they used to call out the names and your name was called out and you got boo, it was like, oh my God, now they call my name. Yeah, that was a touch and a half. I read, um, I read somewhere that when you obviously came back to the, to the bridge and you did your walk around the pitch and yeah. certain people came up and apologised to you. They, and how wow. much forgiveness did you have for them for what wow. you went through? You know what? It was like I didn't expect it and I hadn't had no anger because that anger was well gone past. Um, but I really did it did surprise me when they literally came up to me and said Kenneth man I shake your hand and I see you get here. thanks a lot man Enjoy. you know what I have to admit admit what I said I was one of those fans that yeah racially abused you and I you're kind of brave but I said man that's done we've got moved on now Paul I didn't know any better and now I have my kids I can let them know what it is and the concerns and I said wow that's all I needed to hear and that was yeah unbelievable it wasn't just one it was several that come up to me and that was a great feeling but you know what the feeling was that game I came to is against Man City when I was right back and you don't know when I saw the, the amount of black players they had about seven black players I was is this for one Chelsea, for yeah, Chelsea yeah. I'm, I wasn't convinced this couldn't be Chelsea. I'm not even joking. I was like, I said, what? Are they playing or are they sub? <laughs> no, they're on the pitch. I was like, shut up. 
And that was when somebody checked, knocked me in the shoulder, Canners. This is because of you. Were they aware of you? Did they know who yeah, you were? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They, and I was like, yeah, I was, I was touched. I was really moved. But like you said, walking on that pitch the first time, I was really frightened. Were you I frightened? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know what to expect. Just because of the, the memory of how it used to I've be. Gone. Yeah. yeah. That was it. That was what I was left with. So how are you... I'm going to feel if I was to be expected, um, to be accepted, should I say, not expected. So when... Um, Neil Barnett, that's what I was trying to get. Neil Barnett said, come on, Canners. I thought he'd just make me walk on and walk off. <laughs> the but Oh, sorry, I can't say Barson made me walk all the way around. I was like, are you sure? Canners from the East End. I was like, oh, <laughs> But unbelievable. Everybody stood up and started applause. And you don't know, I was crying. I was crying. My legs were wobbling. I was crying all the way around. I was thinking, oh, my God. This is me. Um, and it just made me feel, oh, my God, I wasn't forgotten. So, yeah, that was emotional. Do you think that also, I don't know if at the time when you were playing and when you went through the injuries and when you left and everything, if you were aware of how groundbreaking it was what you'd done and the, aware that actually without you there wouldn't have been Keith Jones, there wouldn't have been Keith Dublin, there wouldn't have been this succession of other players. Mm. Or was it actually in the modern era when actually you're being told by people who were there first time around, or you're getting this round of applause from people, that you suddenly realise, okay, I see what I did. You know what? I didn't. I really didn't. Even when coming there, it was the case I just saw the the black boys out with the reserves for, this is nothing new. So what's wrong? I just want to play football. We're professionals. Break into the first team. And that was all my thought was about. I didn't know the history. Um... Anybody knows that I supported Leeds at the time. <laughs> oh, that's right. Leeds. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that to be that calm. <laughs> and so coming here, you scored in the five nil. Yeah, so right. I had to change that and said, "Paul, you know, you're playing at Chelsea. You live in London. There's no way you can be supporting Leeds. Here we are now. You found a club, but no, I didn't know the history, and it was not. I wasn't aware of it at all." In, I was so comfortable playing in the reserves that broke through quite early, to be honest. After three months, it was, it was brilliant. I really thought it was so easy. And I expected it to be a lot harder because I was playing at Southern League. And when you play at Southern League, if this doesn't awaken you for being up in the Premier, I'll tell you, it never will because it did. I had some crunching tackles in, <laughs> in the Southern League. And trust me, I realised that it, to avoid those tackles, Paul, you need to jump. <laughs> well, I went to so, see I went to see St Albans Carlisle on Sunday after the five. I mean, you couldn't have got a bigger contrast. You know, it was agricultural football. I'm telling you. you know, but it's you know, but you know, people do they come out of those lower leagues and they yeah. move up. And move if up. you're quick and you're skillful and you can avoid that stuff, then you've got a chance. So, yeah, know? that's weird. I wanted to tell you one thing. When you did that walk round the pitch, I was with my ten year old daughter, and she she asked me who you were, and I explained who you were and 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 why why you were significant and what the treatment. You you'd had and she, it didn't compute it did not compute she was like i don't understand it mm. just she couldn't understand a why you would abuse someone because they're black but also because why would you abuse your own players yeah. it you know times have changed so much that this generation mm. they wouldn't stand for it but you've you know? got to understand i've I got that many a time them questions and it was so funny but that turn when i joined a don't get me wrong, you couldn't see, and I say foreign player, a foreign person wearing a Chelsea shirt. They couldn't walk around that Fulham Road wearing a Chelsea shirt, a team that you supported. 
only for the safety of yourself. And to now, oh my God, you see everybody in a Chelsea shirt. We're a global brand, brand, man. <laughs> and that made my eyes open. So look at this change. Wow. Back then, trust me, I used to walk from the station with the cap, right that low, so nobody recognised me. And it was funny going there and getting the national front like leaflet in my hand. Are you not seeing me? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Sorry." <laughs> if he, if he, <laughs> actually, that was a quick one. If he ever knew who I was, he'd be like, "Oh, you don't know." That's what I was doing. So yeah, times were different. Times so did you different. did you just go on public transport to the yeah. ground then? I went drunk. I, t- I was talking about this the other day, all right, in the same run. Sewart. Sewart. Mm. Right, I used to drive, but I hadn't passed my test. So <laughs> I'm driving from Hackney, my Dolomite Express. <laughs> Sprint! Back in the day, that was the business. <laughs> so I've driven in there and I've done, parked it up down the road, compiler. And he called, he said, Paul. I said, yes, Ron. Was that you I saw driving this one? <laughs> yes, Ron. And I thought he'd leave it at that. Have you passed your test? <laughs> <laughs> no, Ron. <laughs> Do you want to continue being a professional footballer? <laughs> yes, Ron. Then I said, just you pass your test. I left the car there, straight up, and I went down to Hackney and that was it. BSM, BSA. I signed up with BSA in, in that week. And BSM, yeah. BSM, and then the next week I went for my test and passed. Bam! Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alright, Ron. I passed. <laughs> Seriously, that frit. I was so frightened. Seriously, he put the frowns on me, and I was like, <laughs> "Yep, Paul, you can't be doing anything silly now." But that was there. Yeah, those are good days. Um, I mean, I tell you, got um, contacted me. I'm um, Sheila. Mace, Ma- Marston. Marston. Yeah, yeah. She was the secretary down at Chelsea and helped me so much. And I had to say that. Um, she befriended me on um, Facebook. I hadn't seen her for so long since she left when that was the Ken Bates era. And I had to say, God, you don't know how much you helped me. But then I got to say um, thank you very much because it was. It was that feeling, and, and anything I inquired about, I used to go to Sheila in the office and so forth. She was really helpful. So, um, yeah. So, did you, you had um, quite a good team around you, didn't you, of people? Oh, we and, did. And, but there was one incident when they were with Kerry Dixon when he first came. Uh, the, the, Kerry came, this blue, blonde eye flash. <laughs> I've got to say, because he knows the same thing. And he came along, we thought, we were this sign, new signing, Kerry Dixon from Reading. Nah, nobody knew him. And he came along and we said, God, this boy is lazy. And he seriously, he said it himself. He was lazy. He didn't move around in training. He didn't have to. He didn't think he had to. He was quick. But he thought, come on, man, show some input. And, and we had this kind of team that we had when we were um, training um, at Brisworth there. And we just said, boy, if this guy's going to score goals for us, yeah, hell yeah, please. <laughs> so it was like that. But now, um, in the training done, then the whistle went. And this is the first time we see this boy shot off. He was gone. Okay. Now, the idea when you saw that whistle, because there was only 15 baths in this um, hostel where we was at. So everybody rushed quickly, get your bath. So I got my bath and got quickly, ran the tap, ran the water, great stuff. Went to my room, get my toiletries. So I come back. And then when I come to my bathroom, Kerry Dixon. 
<laughs> is in my bath. <laughs> so I said, Kerry, what are you doing? What does it look like I'm doing? Yeah, but I know that. But didn't you see somebody, obviously, the bath has been run. This isn't it. But it ain't got your name on it. I went, who puts their name on a fucking bath? <laughs> so, it's ain't no sense. Come on, Kerry, everybody knows. It's common sense, man. You see a bath, you know somebody's running. He said, yeah. Well, and What do you mean, and So, okay. So I took my towel and I was wrapped around me. And I got in the bath. <laughs> so he's asking me, what are you doing? What do you think I'm doing? I said, I'm having a bath. No, get out. No, you get out. No, you get out. No, you get out. And he caught me. But how and why he caught me, this is the thing. He caught me with a punch. And it's only because, right, I was looking down the bottom there and I said, shit. You're not white, you're black. <laughs> he had the living long time. Like, what the fuck? That is how he caught me, because I was blinded by his cock. <laughs> Bam! I said, well, but you've got two grown-ups who are fighting this bath. The water's going all over. Take, take it easy, son. We went out straight up. We're, that's water's going over and the noise is going on. Who comes in? Mickey Joy. And Mickey Joy. Oi! And we looked up. <laughs> What do you think you're doing? <laughs> Mickey, was him? <laughs> you can imagine, right? We went to the office, John Neal. And all, thing, all that was going in my head was saying, I'm not going to pass to him. He ain't getting no goals from me. <laughs> <laughs> how could I be telling that? The man scored how many goals for us? And got, oh, man, you don't know. But we shook hands. And, yeah, that was our welcome call, you know what I mean? To let him know. But, yeah, man, no, Kerry's a good lad, He's a good lad, don't get me wrong, we both had our demons and he's come through it, so this is where we are now and it's where we go from, we step from here. Uh, one player one play that you did have a really good relationship with was Pat Nevin, wasn't it? Who was we, Pat. Who um, publicly defended you, didn't he? And, and came out and was very staunchly in your defence. Definitely, and that was obviously the first time we made my debut at Crystal Palace, we played them again and um, I think the game had just been televised at the time. Um, Pat got, was it the winner? Or was it them? Yeah. yeah. And um, they wanted an interview, and Pat refused to talk about the game and so forth. He just talked about what, what I was receiving, and I've never heard of any player. Not losing disrespect to the rest of my teammate, because I know how it is. But he, he was that sort of person. He was outspoken, his beliefs, and that's why everybody respected him. Um, and we had a good um, understanding of music. And that was Pat, when we went on the coach trips, like when I say coach, away games, everybody played cards, but me and Pat, we played music. And I got him into George Benson and Michael Jackson, that was the time. And then Pat got me into Cat Stevens. <laughs> I'd never heard of Cat Stevens. But he played this beat, I was like, damn, this guy's good. Didn't play Joy Division. Yeah, I'm telling you. So that's how me and Pat was, you know what I mean? We've been like that and forevermore. So yeah, we're very close. So you, you made 103 appearances for Chelsea. Yeah. You scored 15 goals, and then you went to Reading, um, and a uh, £60,000 transfer, which mm. a decent fee in those days. But you only ended, I think you only made something like less than 125 appearances in your entire sort of know, top flight professional career. Because you were constantly, did your cruise at Reading, didn't you? Yeah, I, that time when I got that injury there, and um, a bummer. And, um, is that the kind of injury that these days would have been would be repaired? 
I think so with the keyhole operations that they do and the specialists that they can be sent to, most definitely. Um, I think I think the same with um, Zuma, who's had that kind of similar injury. Um, and he's come out. I think, I can't blame Ridden at the time, but Ridden, what it was, maybe didn't have the funds to really take me to, to go to see that specialist. Um, I didn't think at the time that my career would have been ended, but I didn't realise how serious it was because it was dislocated with the torn ligaments and the torn cruciates. Um, did you know when you did it, it was horrific? No. Uh, well, I didn't, no. You, oh, you don't know. I'm like, I remember the tackle. And I had the trouble with this guy. Was Sunderland? He was, no, he was at West Ham. West Ham, right. Yeah, and I killed him then. Yeah, shocking <laughs> with some skill. So he, how he turned, as I turned to my right and he pushed me, my knee had already gone one way and it went and turned the other way. Now, I didn't realise the stink of the injury because I was on the ground and I kept looking at it. I said, yeah, wait till I get up. I'm going to lick you for now, watch. And my teammate, and I, I'm trying to get up, and he said, Paul, just cool, relax. Let's get the free kick done, man. <laughs> he said, Paul, just be cool, relax, man. And I said, why is he doing this, man? Let's get... And that's when I saw my leg, and literally to see the top of the thigh was one way, and from the bottom of the thigh, I mean, the knee to the foot, was turned the other way. And I hadn't felt no pain. I must have been in some kind of shock because I didn't feel no pain at all. I just went, oh, my God, oh, my God, look at this. And he said, I know, Paul. And the stretcher came off. I remember it was in the ambulance. They rushed me to the... This is where an excruciating pain came through because we had been trapped. It had trapped the blood, nerves, nerves. Mm. and it was pounding. And I've never felt this kind of pain in my life. I mean, pain. I was crying... And they got me to the hospital and they had to wait for the doctor and this pain was going on. I'm telling them, I was giving them permission to cut my knee, my leg off. <laughs> That's how much the pain was. And this nurse, she was so annoying. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be coming in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> bring, bring, bring the nurse, doctor. Don't worry. <laughs> He'll be coming soon. She was annoying, man. <laughs> All I know, that I was asleep and I was in the plaster. And I didn't know the extent of the damage, really, until the specialist came the next day in the morning and said, Kanaz, um, this is one of the worst injuries in football. Um, you might not be able to play, continue playing football. I said, don't be silly, man. Come on, man. Come on, it's an injury. Because well, I think you should be made aware. And that's what started dawning in my head. I said, nah, I can't believe that. I can't. I've just started, man. They ain't even seen nothing yet. And it was that was a lot to take in and what my mum was saying because I didn't take my education serious. And I said, where do I go from here? Nah, I can't, man. It's got to do. So that was the longest a year rehabilitation that I took. Um, I had to work the strength. I went to Germany with Reading. And I remember like, I had to have somebody sit carry on my back and sit down and lift them up I had a whole extensive training riding the bike on up hills and not taking your ass off the seat I mean literally riding uphill I did everything um, and I thought I was ready and funny the first game I played was against Bournemouth and Redknapp was the manager and um, the tackle came now usually protecting that leg so I went in with my left thinking so, but I couldn't get the left in time in front 
So I had to go with the right, the pen. And I'm thinking, oh my God, oh my God, I'm on. the thought that was going through my my God, oh boy, if they're going to take it, it's going to take it now. And I went in the tackle, bam, 15, you hit. I thought, oh my God, it, it went through. You've done all right, Paul. Yes. And I continued in the game. It was only after the game, like, that's when the knee started to swell up like a balloon. And it was happening every time I played. That um, the hardest decision was when the manager in Bramford told me, Paul, um, just to let you know, we won't be renewing your contract. And I knew by then I had to make a decision to retire. And that, yeah, that was one of the hardest things in my life yeah, to make. And, and life didn't go so well after that. It certainly didn't. Um, it was hard for me. Um, I was still trying to play that nightlife and um, had my house. Now, when knowing how I'm going to afford the bills, I had to find a nine to five. And that nine to five for me, I couldn't take being in an office. I preferred outside. So I took up a, a, a delivery for Group 4, which is, um, and I thought, yeah, because I love London, I could drive. Um, but the nightlife was still in me, so I was, like, going out, coming back about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and I was supposed to be up at 5. Mm-hmm. And, you know what I mean, it started making excuses, oh, I'm not feeling too well, can't come in tomorrow, and that was it. And then introduced this drug, and it was crack. And I didn't know it was. I swear, Lord, I thought it was weed, and I this is not weed. What is this? This is crack porn. So why are you giving me this? And I really was expecting something to happen. And it didn't. It kind of calmed me down. I said, damn, it's not bad. And that's when I started to defend for myself. I started buying it myself. And so that you, were, were you medicating yourself, do you think? I mean, if we were to start to examine it properly. I don't say I was medicating. It was like the first time because I was dead against it. Anybody mentioned crack, I was like, no, nah, man, nobody knew that. I'm not into that. And it came about. And because it... At the time and the period I had, how was I feeling low already? It kind of enhanced me, and it made me forget about a lot of shit that was going on, and the shit that was going on. But they were still there because once you come off it, it was like, oh, poor, they ain't gone away. Your bills ain't gone away. This ain't gone away. But at the time, it helped me. Now, I didn't realize at that time because I was now in a depression zone, and all smiles and all laughters and all. Yeah, that Paul wasn't there anymore because I used to joke and I stopped joking. People used to ask me, come on, Paul, let's go out. And I said, yeah, and I was letting him out at the last minute because I didn't want people to see me. I didn't want people talking about me. And that was the one that was like, wow. Did you know you were a drug addict at that point? Did you no. admit you were a drug addict? No, I was in denial. And that's the worst thing. But anybody, don't get me wrong, as my colleague here said, it was up to me. See, everybody can help you, but it has to be you that wants to help yourself. And that was it. It had to mean me say, look, man, I've had enough of this. Um, these are my kids. I love them, and I don't want to be embarrassing to them. And I went in the rehab, and that was the hardest thing as well. Because the detox, you had to go and detox for two weeks. And it was like, all right, my name is Paul Kenneth. It ain't Cannibal. And But obviously you catch one in there. I know you. It was like, oh my god, nah, man, I'm not even right. Nah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So then it was like, yeah, and then you're realizing, but now you're thinking, nah, man, Paul, stop. This is the whole trouble, being in denial. Admit, it. yeah, I did. I had troubles, and I went in and 
for me, my battle was, was, was to share. Because I never used to share. And here I was talking now to a counsellor. And I was dead against counselling. He's like, showing your business, what they got to do? Nah, man. But I'm going to lie, it helped. And it helps. Um, <laughs> i got to admit, the first guy, um, he was a white guy. And I just didn't, he just didn't understand my culture. And it was like annoying. He was also asking some stupid question. Why are you here? Well, why the f*** you think I'm here? <laughs> I said, what's wrong with you? Are you for real? <laughs> I said, no disrespect, mate. I'm not, not feeling this. And I wanted to leave. He said, well, if you leave, they will throw you out of the... I said, what? We're cool. We're not saying nothing. You say that. We're here for an hour. Just cool. And I sat down for an hour. Came down. Went. So I went to the office. I said, look... No disrespect, I'm not racist, but he's not understanding my culture. I need to talk to a black guy. He said, okay. And black guy came. And I thought, oh, here he goes. He asked the same shit too. <laughs> Why are you here, Paul? Are you for real? <laughs> but no, he hit on the nail. And he asked straight away, Paul, do you think all this is being involved around your, your mum? And I thought, how dare you bring up my mother? What's wrong with you? But he hit it on the nail. And I had to open up. And that was it. I started and I couldn't stop. It was like, oh my God, this is what I needed. And it was like the whole thing, my kids, the mothers, everybody, everything came out. And it made it a lot easier where I had this heavy weight on my shoulders. It was now starting to release. I felt good about myself. My head was working. And yeah, it took that to get, yeah back to where I was. And you, you guys have got something in common because you've both had cancer. I think you both had the same cancer, haven't you? Is that right? Non- lymphoma. Lymphoma. Yeah. yeah. That, that was the surprise. I was in the rehab at that time because um, I went in twice. Um, went in down in Liverpool Road and I went down in Norwich. And um, the Liverpool Road, I, just didn't, I was waking up at the same time and I couldn't understand it in pain and in sweat 2 a.m. every time for two weeks. For two weeks, I took this pain, and not once would I say, go see the doctor. Because I thought, ah, penicillin, I'll take that. And it eased off, and then I just lay there like that. I couldn't even lie down. I had to sit up and go to sleep like that for two weeks, and I couldn't take it no more, and the pain killed me. So I had to put it's funny, because you're in the rehab, and you have to have permission to go see the doctor, and you've got to put this down. So look, I need to see the doctor. I'm getting this pain. So I thought, okay. And I went to the doctor and I explained to the doctor, look, I'm waking up for the last two weeks with this pain, I'm getting cold sweats, I'm in sweat, the, the whole of my bed is just water, it's like a pond. Yeah, goldfish can swim in it. He says, um, yeah, you need to go to the hospital now. And his phone, right now, I'm thinking, what do you mean? He said, you need to go to the hospital now. <laughs> okay, so I went and I went to the hospital and he said, yep, I'm gonna, I've got a bed for you, waiting up for your bed. Bed for what? We need to operate. Operate what? Nobody's explained. And got to bed. I didn't tell nobody. And next thing I had the operation and I woke up. I felt lousy. And that's when they told me. He said, man, look, you've just had Hodgkin's disease. What's that? He said, cancer. Lymphoma. What? But I'm only 30. still a young lad. I've just finished playing football. He said, yeah, that's what I heard. The understanding of it's between the ages of 30 and 45 in men. And you know what? When I had that operation and the chemo, first chemo, 
and I was 30, I felt like I was 75. That drained you. It drained me. Um, and I realised how, I didn't even still realise how serious it was um, what I had. Because when they said they had chemotherapy, well, I said, cool. Let's, yeah, that kill it. Well, it's like a tablet. Yeah, well, great. But the effects, what do you mean? Um, the um, Your immune system is low. You're able to catch colds by anybody. Your hair will drop off. I said, you what? And that was very important to me. My hair, you don't know. <laughs> So you can see, imagine the two weeks. I, I went and had the bath because all the time I'm thinking, every time I got up, I felt everything. It's still there. <laughs> it's good. I went and had a bath. And I had this bath and I put the shampoo in my hair and I started sweating the clumps that started coming out of my hand. And I went, oh my God. Oh my God. And everything, oh my God. And I was so frightened. And I had to put on hat and I got up. And I went and phoned my um, barber. I said, look, um, please, I need a cut. Can you see me now? He said, come in, man, don't worry. And I was so embarrassed to take off my hat. And I saw these patches. He said, Paul, what's happening? And because I never let anybody know that I had cancer. And when I told him, he was so shocked. Paul, why didn't you tell us? He just shaved my head. And that was the very first time I saw my head bald. And I didn't like it. And I used to stay inside. I never go. I never went out with it. Never went out. Never put a hat on, because I never ever. And don't get me wrong. I know it's coming. <laughs> I know it's coming, but I'm still gonna fight it. <laughs> Even if I have to colour this bastard. I'm just to <laughs> so um, yeah, I never saw that. And just, yeah, that was really frightening. Well, I think losing your hair is always that sign. It happened to me. I, I shaved my head. Yeah. Because I was told I was going to lose my hair. Yeah. And I said. I know what, I'll go bald first. That'll yeah. fool them. And, and so I did it, and for the several months I was doing it, it was, I, I thought, it's not going to drop out. It's just not going to drop out. And then the last treatment of chemo, I had like <coughs> a, a, a little crew cut. Trust me. And suddenly it just all dropped out, and you went, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, you thought, I've done all that work. And it is, it's just sort of the, the great but reminder of what I'll you tell go you through. Why, this thing, this, I'll give you this experience, because it was... I didn't take it serious, and they said, Paul, any time you get cold, I think you've got to come to the hospital. And I went, nah, come on, man. So this time, um, I got a cold, and I ain't going to lie, this cold never left me for seven days. And I thought, hold on, and I'm taking my mum's remedies, like honey and the lemon and everything, and it's not leaving me at all, and I still don't want to go into hospital because I don't like them. And it's next day, eight day, like, I woke up, and I was paralysed. I'm literally paralyzed i couldn't move nothing in my body all i could move was my head fingers toes legs everything was paralyzed and i was like oh my god so i'm telling my missus at the time um she said, something's wrong it's a poor dark joke i'm serious i can't move nothing and she um found the ambulance right away and they said look can he make his way get there now so we got down now you understand right the specialist that was looking after me. It was a woman, right? And they got me to the hospital in a nick of time. When I tell you, I was in and out of coma, like a coma. And when I was just got there, and they just survived. That um, when I did awake, and the lady specialist saw me, she said, "Paul, don't you ever, ever do that again." And she swore. And I was kind of surprised because I thought, you're a hospital, how could you be talking to me like this? 
And you know the reason why she talked to me like this? Because she was a Chelsea fan. <laughs> yeah, man, you don't know. I was in good hands. <laughs> so, yeah, she just told me, don't you dare, ever. You understand? And that's really made me realise how serious this cancer is. And I've had it three times. And every time I know I felt that pain... Three, two to you, I've had it twice. So you're yeah, winning. I'm just there. I know when it's there, I go in. Can't play about with it, so I know. But you, people. but you beat it. Yeah, I don't get me wrong. I still, it's funny. I've got an appointment that's coming. I hematology. I go in there because they check on me. I've got this bloody cold right now. I've got a chest infection, and they're right on me, straight up. I said, Paul, coming. Am I bubble? And they explain, and that's what I like about it. There's no hiding from that. Um, Your career ends at 24. You become a drug addict. You have no self-esteem. You go into rehab. You have cancer. What is there a single redemption moment? Is there a moment where you think the only way is up? Did you go so low that the only way could be up for you? Um, there was a period that was really low where I tried to take my life. Um, I just wanted uh, this one you probably heard before that hole to just appear and just dig out and just yeah swallow it up. But there was one period and I thought I can't take this no more, and I. 24 tablets, 21, 24 tablets, one time. And thinking I'll sleep and I won't wake up from this, and this is it. Didn't think of nothing else. Um, didn't think I was being selfish, I just couldn't have enough of it. And um, I got to laugh as much as you might not take it serious. Um, the tw- tablets I took and I went to sleep and I thought, yeah, I won't be waking up. And so the one eye opened up. And it opened up and I saw this light, bright. And I thought, oh my God, is this heaven? Because <laughs> it was bright. And I thought, oh my God, I've reached. And then I opened my other eye and I looked up and it, it was my bloody curtain. It was the light <laughs> shining right direct into my face. And I thought, what the hell have I got to do? And you don't know how much it was. It was like, then if tablets ain't going to work, I'm just going to put myself in front of a truck on the road. That's how bad it was. And, but I phoned my girlfriend at that time and just told her, look, what I tried doing. And she gave me a right bollocking, man. <laughs> no, what I mean, there's not many people that give me a bollocking besides my mum. And so, and plus the specialists as well. Yeah, she just told me how selfish of you. you got your kid, what do you think? Of? And I had to take that all in. And it was a case of then now to rush me to the hospital to pump this all out and then we... They, the doctors, they wanted me to go to a psychiatrist. Saying, I'll tell you what, they wanted to lock me in. I was not having that. I said, look, I'm all right. No, we're not too sure. You tried to take it off. And I didn't understand the seriousness. I said, boy, no, seriously, I'm all right. No, no. And I had to be escorted right from the doctor's surgery to the hospital because that's how they were concerned about it. And I thought, my gosh. So um, that was the kind of depression I was really in. And... Um, I had to take, um, what's those tablets that they give you? Valium? Yeah, no, no, what's the other one? Anyway. Uh, Prozac. Prozac. Prozacs. Mm. Now I was dead against that because I hear about people getting hooked on it and I would, no. I was, <laughs> the crack addict. Yeah. <laughs> Me too, my man, getting hooked on it. And I was like, no, I'm not having it. But um, I'm telling you, they helped. Um, for two weeks, three weeks, they helped and I knocked off on it and I was back. I was back. And that's how, yeah. And so has football played a part in your life in in the last few years and things 
because you're now back at Chelsea and things. Is, um, is, is there something that's going on with, with sport with you that, you, that what's gets you What's going on? Things? I'll tell you what, this book. This book has opened doors, very much so, as Rick said. Um, and your foundation as well. The foundation. That's what I was just going to... Yes, I know you Did can't. you believe him when he said it's going to change your life? No. It was funny because... It was just about Paul Cannon River. For me, it was like, oh, my God, people are going to know the full story of Paul Cannon. And that, for me, was like, I was thinking that same thing back in the day with my mum thinking I was embarrassed. Then they're going to know. You know what? It's so funny. We, we went to the awards. Do you yeah. remember? Yeah. We went to the awards, right? It's won an award. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I was, at, I was a TA, a teaching assistant at junior school. And I asked him, look, I need to take that off because I'm... There's an award and whatnot. We didn't think we were going to win. Well, I didn't. And they put us right at the end. <laughs> Come on, man. They put us right... If that's an indication itself. They put us right at the end, the last table. We can just about to see the platform on the stage. But anyway, what we're just now... Yeah, it's, it's free champagne. Free nosh. Let's eat this up. And going through all the, um, the um, finals of the award presented books that was going on then I heard um yeah with these this book is about five out of five winners or something like that but we picked one and now we're talking we're just talking in a way and I noticed oh, like just... Rick what's wrong with them <laughs> why are they staring at us <laughs> and I'm like Rick what's wrong with them Rick I, if, you remember, if you remember, I said you 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 better prepare a speech just in case. He you said mean, that, yeah. He said that. that. You better what well, speak for what, just, Rick? You, you said I'll just think of something. Like, you, oh, won, you don't you, know. This book won two major awards. It won the best autobiographer in the National Sporting Books uh, Awards in 2009 and the best autobiographer in the British Sports Books Awards in uh, well, 2009 as well. Well, actually, we were nominated for the William Hill. Oh, yeah. I was reading a little bit about your foundation and about the work that you do. You run a couple of football teams now, is that right? Kids football we're teams? We're doing that. We're, we're looking to do that at the moment. Um, everything, got to be serious, it's about funding. Um, as you just said, it, it is a charity. And so when you, we try to make funds available in the kitty, we're not getting wages from this. This is to provide us to help run workshops and to run the team. Um, and that's what it's been. It's unbelievable. Last week was our first anniversary of how we've been running. Um, and there's golf days and there's, there's all sorts oh, of stuff. Going on. What? What's the address that people can vote for you on? You can't, you can't ask me that now. It's really, <laughs> it's really not an easy one. What, what, I, I can read it out, but you're never going to remember you're it. You're not going to remember it. Just because we'll put it on the link for the podcast. Yeah. We'll get it up on Twitter, so we'll give everyone what a link. we're looking now is we've been submitted um, to receive, not just us, we've put on Hackney Project where we're doing workshops as well as in football. Um, and it's to the youth, obviously, because what we're looking at similar, like a similar thing to education for football. Um, but the workshops would hold up a description. I'm just going to give you a slight one to what is gang, how to resist the gang association, crime and punishment and positive thinking. Um, and we've got the staff behind us, some um, lecturers, and this is what it all includes about funding. So we've been submitted with um, Avia, Aviva, is it Aviva? Aviva. But we need votes. 
And this is how it's going about. The more votes we get, then we get the funding. And that's the reason why I've been putting it all in Facebook and Twitter and so forth. And it's not just for you to give me money. It's just to have your votes, these 10 votes, to register in there for our project. So please, 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 if you're you can follow Twitter, that. You're at King Canners. I am. At King Canners. It's name. the Paul Cannaville Foundation. And you can tie that You'll up by looking at the Viva. But we'll put the links up. It'll be all over the place. If any of you want it tonight, come and see me and, and, and we'll sort that and you, out. you still go out and you give motivational speaks and you go into schools oh, and you do all that. And that's separate from the foundation. Well, that's what it is, because yeah. of that book. Um, of that book. This book, shall I say, <laughs> not that. It's, it's enlightened and it's helped a lot of fan base. And this is the thing I didn't realise. The fan base, not just here in England, they're all over the world. And I've been invited. I had the honour of going to Australia. Australia. I was fretting. I was fretting because I hear so much of rumours and the racism down there. And I was fretting. Hold on, just too far to go to get racial. But I went down there and it's unbelievable. Adelaide, uh, Melbourne, Sydney. What a reception I received. Um, and it was great just sharing my story. And especially in America where I've just so I met this guy um, in New York, Washington. It was um, unbelievable. I'm being over in store. It still continues. Hopefully, next year, um, Malta and Toronto and um, California. Well, so what is <laughs> Canisfornia? Yeah, well, there we go. So, what is Canisfornication? There's been enough of that, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 11's enough. Uh, damn. But, so what, what does the next 10 years or so hold for Paul Canavu? I mean, you've, you've had an incredible roller coaster life so far some ups, some downs, some amazing highs, some incredible lows. You're older, wiser. What, what does the next 10 years hold? You settle um, back with a pipe and slippers now? No, no, no. I'm still out there. Um, Depends. Profiling, um, and this is what I'm doing with the foundation, it's profiling it or, or throughout the whole world. Um, and people are listening. Don't get me wrong, I love working with the kids now and these youths. And they need that understanding. I'm just one of many. Um, we need a little more mentors. And that's what we need right now. They see Even the youngsters, when they watch on the box, they watch the stars them they watch Terry they watch the Lampard they watch so and I'll tell you now it will only take 10 minutes of their time to come in the school and share with them how important their education is I swear to you they would go make a difference and that's all it is um, I've been doing this and it's funny because I thought when they first asked me he said but boy these kids weren't even born when I was playing he said but they knew everything and I couldn't understand why. So there was a miscarriage. When you went to such and such, why did you go? And I was like, how did you know that? And so he told me. He said, Wikipedia. I said, Wicca who? <laughs> I swear you don't know. I went running home. I had to ask my daughter, well, show me where's Wikipedia, please. <laughs> Daddy. I said, no, please, just show me. And she pulled it up and I was like, how the hell did they get all that information? I never gave it to them. And they had everything. I was so shocked. And that's how them kids of eight years old are reading this and understanding it. I've been, yeah, reaching through to the eight years, secondary now. I love it. Um, I change it every time. And it, I have a laugh of it. And I love the questions that come out from an eight-year-old. It's unbelievable. Because I, when I was eight, never used to ask them kind of questions. So they are learning. So this is what it is for me. And ask me in ten years' time. Sure. 
Same question. Excellent. Yeah, I think what would be nice is, you know, uh, open it up to the floor, and if any of you got any questions for Paul, now's your time. So, yeah, anything. Anyone got any questions they'd like to ask Paul? Football-related, whatever. Yeah, yes, Enfield. Enfield. I know. I went to play for Enfield. Enfield. I went by it. Yeah, I think yeah they took a liberty with me because um I came just came out of retirement and um because I just love football. Didn't care. Obviously, going for non-league, it, I, I was experienced from that with that. And I went to Enfield and there was one incident. It was great sign. Um, I went for an interview for this job and I. It was running late and I twisted my ankle. And I went in training that one day and the manager and I explained, look, I've twisted the ankle, you see it swelling up. And said, oh, yeah. And he gave me attitude. And then he told me, yeah, well, you're going to do some sit-ups. Like I've never done sit-ups before. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but it's the way he was talking to me and I thought, hold on, mate, are you taking the pain with me? And I didn't like that attitude. There's no way you need to be talking to me like that. So I had a go at him. Then the manager stepped in. I had a go at him too. I said, I don't need this. I said, sorry, you ain't talking to me like that. So I left. Now, they wouldn't release my contract. So I couldn't play for nobody else. So I had to go to the PFA to sort it out. And they weren't paying me. And I didn't understand why you, you ain't paying me, so release me. And I couldn't play for nobody until this was sorted out. And I didn't care where I played, to be honest. It didn't have to be up there. I was um, Eltham. I played... Um, Maidenhead? Maidenhead, or? yeah. Yeah, Maidenhead. I just loved... Yeah. I just, Wanted to play football, and that was it. But I think that's when I realised, because I was playing... Who was I playing for at the time? I think it was on another lower league. And what it was, and that was before I had the cancer, I didn't even realise, because now my strength was gone. And what I usually do, like, get a ball turn, I couldn't do it. And I couldn't understand why what was happening, because I had that yard, I still had it. But it weren't happening, and I, I still didn't understand. And it was after when I went to, to find out that was the telling that I had cancer. Yeah, I really didn't know. But yeah, good question. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Yes. Is you again, Clayton? Uh, Clayton. Just to interrupt you, do you play for the shirt and the badge? Um, you play for the club, and that is the shirt and the badge and the shorts and the socks and where you're playing, and that's how it is as a team. And don't get me wrong, I understand what you're saying about this, but like we heard so many times, um, Josie had lost the change room. It was simple as that. Um, and what was going on there, 
it wasn't they wasn't supporting. That's how my opinion thing. Have you um, ever been in a dressing room like that? Never. Um, don't get me wrong. If we argue, we'd argue amongst ourselves as a player. You see, look, you can do a lot better. And don't get me wrong, I was on the pitch. And sometimes it was just, yeah, I used to be watching the surroundings and thinking, yeah, I'm here. And Spackman said, Canners, forget that showboat, we can get in here. <laughs> and he was right. He was right. Get involved in there. And that's all you needed. And if you've got that support, by all means, but um, they lost it. He'd lost it. Um, and where they are now, that's that same seven players. This is the new man that's come in, and he's a totally different uh, manager. Um, as I said, a demand manager. And that's what some of these players need. Um, he would coach. There was one game, was it Southampton? And you saw Conti hugging Costa like that. At the end, yeah, yeah. I thought that was brilliant. I've never seen that from a manager. I've, I'm going to be honest, I've never seen that from a manager. He was on the pitch uh, on after the, the game on, on Saturday. Man. He looked like a man. Yeah. 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 Didn't he? Just yeah. like holding... Just, I appreciate what you do, man. Come on. And that, in a player, boy, my manager loves me. And not just me, everybody. I'll tell you, you don't know. That makes you go out for the training, say, well, you've done well Saturday, come by Monday, I'm involved. Back in there, what can I learn? New. And you tell me. But yeah, I feel he lost. He lost it, um, and don't I love what Josie's done. But as I said before, it was the same thing year in year out, and you had to change it because every club realised that they knew what's meant. The Stamford Bridge was not the throne, not the castle anymore. There's teams coming up and beating us, two willy nilly, and that was a. You don't know how upsetting that was for me to go away, and like. Oh, Boy, what's happening, Kenneth? What's happening to you? See, was like, couldn't say nothing. <laughs> I honestly couldn't. I, trust me, I back and think, but I couldn't say nothing because it was the same performance throughout. So yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. Next. <laughs> yep. Who's the most talented black footballer to play for Chelsea? The talented black. Most talented black footballer to play for Chelsea. Well, that's what I thought you'd say anyway. <laughs> You was late. <laughs> but anyway, talented, you know what? Gotta be. The man said it, boy. You know what? I gave him stick when he came. Because I thought, this boy ain't got a touch. The ball was just bouncing off him. And I said, oh, get off your dicky. What are you dropping on the floor for? Get up. I'll give you a kick. You go. But this boy is improved. And oh, the strength. His head, his chest and his leg. Oh, He's done tremendous. Why did we leave him go? I mean, if you still got that one year, playing that one year. Same with Lampard, playing that one year. And but yeah, did it a drop off it was for me, definitely. McAnelly was close. I think McAnelly was great for us. But this is why I say that Canty, it does happen. Oh man, you don't know. Watch this boy go. Yes, sir. We just yep. two of them. We got it. Okay. That's a very interesting. <laughs> who would we have lead? This is a play question. My part. Who would play Canners? We were talking about this. We said literature to the crowd. <laughs> who could play my part? Who? He's cool. Samuel L. Johnson. He's cool. He's actually but older. He's not Jackson. cool enough. <laughs> <laughs> he's cool, but not cool enough. Come on, man. Who could play me? Denzel? I love Denzel. Yeah, but you... we've got to look at a man and. Younger, younger. You look, play the two who's younger now. Then, 
Idris has gone. Don't Idris, he loves his football too. Yeah, well, Arsenal think, fan, though. Yeah, no, uh, can't be done. Chris Rock. Yeah, that would be right. Chris yeah, Chris Rock, Rock was talking. <laughs> Chris, Rock. Chris Rock is Paul Canaville. But I've seen his left foot. He's not that good. <laughs> but we were thinking about that, yes, sir. Hopefully. There's one other thing. Let me answer that question. We're looking to do that. Don't get me wrong. This is a, it is um, something, obviously, the documentary came out. And I certainly didn't expect the documentary to, um, well, to get so much highlight, to be honest. Um, I was away in Australia. It was funny. You don't know. It was the Burnley game. Was it? I can't remember. It was on Sky. It was Sky. It was a Burnley game. And I knew it was going to play. And at this time, you can imagine, right? They watch the game. It's at 2 a.m. in the morning, 1 a.m. in the morning. No joke. And they took me to this... um, it's um, gambling. Oh, is it? What do you call it? It's a casino, sorry. And a casino. I'm thinking, but this is a casino. You can't make noise in here. <laughs> but there was this big sports screen. It's a screen. It's just doing sports. And it had the game on it. And these guys said, come on, Jesus. I was like, damn, the people are gambling in there, man. <laughs> and it was gambling. But they said, no, Paul, that's, we're all right. And there it was now. We come out. And I was trying. We got home. Um, and I kept ringing. Is it shown yet? No, I can't. Oh, God, man. And I, is it shown yet? I said, no. You know what? I can't find them all. I'm just going to leave it. And um, I was so, so oh, nervous because I didn't know how I'd be perceived, how I'd been taken. And um, the next day, I was receiving so many messages from Facebook and Twitter, kind of emotional. Didn't expect that. Big up to you. Well done. And I thought, hold on. And it's funny because Sky... They only expected 250 viewers and they ended up with under a million. And that was a shock for them. So um, it's a shame because we wanted it out broadcast from like from BBC One and BBC Two. Yeah. It's only those who's got Sky that have seen it and everybody keeps asking me, you know what I mean? Paul, where can we see it? It's on YouTube and it ain't because and that's probably something we've got to do about it because it, um, Sky own it. And when I say Make Sky another one. own it, it's not they own it, it's what you see the little pics yeah, of me playing, yeah. playing? Those little pics is like three to four seconds of just me action. They cost three, four thousand pounds. Just that. And that's what we got to pay for, is for us to own it. And if we can own it, then we distribute it and everybody can see it. And, mm. That's a good idea. Crowdfund it. Yeah. yeah. Loved it. Talk to Tony about it. Yeah? Yeah. What's question, question yep. down Sorry. There. You know what? I don't know the situation. And in light of the London state, I like, yeah. I don't think anyone yeah. wants that. No, no, no. <laughs> Earthquake seemed all right. I don't know if it was big enough, though. Would it been an improvement for us as a ground or so? Don't get me wrong. And then they was talking about the towers. Was it on down Battersea? Down, Battersea. Yeah. I thought, hold on. And I'm thinking, because obviously, as Chelsea, you're accustomed to go to Fulham Road. You don't want to be further than that. You've, you're, 
Give Jussie the Fulham Road, and I think that's what's going with playing down in, like, like in Tottenham at the moment for, um, for Tottenham down in Wembley. It's like, oh, and then we're hopefully going to be situated there. How does it make our crowd? You know, yeah, I think look, the thing is, a, unfortunately, our ground is situated in some of the richest real estate in the globe. And the fact of the matter is, you're always going to make more money putting up flats on Earl's Court and Battersea yeah, than you are putting up yeah, a football pitch. So yeah. we are restricted about where we can go. I don't think that Earl's Court was ever a realistic proposition because they could make a lot more money putting up putting up housing. Look, I, I think I've seen the plans. We've all seen the plans for the new stadium. If they can realise that, I yeah. think it's going to be amazing. Beautiful. I might love that's, that's I'm loving that. the idea. I'd love yeah. to stay at Stamford Bridge but I'd like to stay in a Stamford Bridge that had another 20,000 seats that was fit for the modern age you know I mean yeah. I, I, I love our stadium as it is but I think we've got to compete with uh, you know with the big boys we just do yeah. and I, I love what they're considering doing I mean maybe you've got some more insight than me on what's going on there but it seems to be well, no, slowly you've progressing seen the, you've seen the plans that they, a final consultation they hope it'll be a final consultation before um, planning is agreed and nothing can happen until the planning uh, is approved but obviously any other uh, place that there's any other stadium would have been a compromise compared to redeveloping Stamford Bridge. All of us have seen different iterations of Stamford Bridge. The, the stadium that we go to now is not the one that I first attended, which yeah. had just this, you know, I remember walking up the shed, the steps at the shed and seeing this amazing bowl with that big green there and you know the whole expanse the grandeur of it which had a, an amazing effect on me we will never have that back but what we can have is a world-class stadium with the same as Candace is saying the same familiar streets that we all walk to to the game the same restaurants and bars or whatever hopefully that we all attend beforehand that would be the ideal scenario Well, I think I we'll have to go temporarily somewhere yeah, while they right. redevelop. I yeah. mean, you know, Wembley's great for me. It's down the road. but I, Twickenham you know, and... Yeah, I know. That was... Twickenham and... I, I, I mean, you They won't have, have us at Twickenham. No, yeah. well, the London Might Stadium... Might well play at Lord's. You, you can imagine that <laughs> if that was an option, that's yeah, uh, difficult now. I was... I don't know how many of you were there at the West Ham game. I was... Uh, I, I was uh, on social media. There was a photo of me and my son... Um, studiously watching the game while all the fighting was going on behind us. <laughs> but I have to say, it was a t- terrible experience all around that uh, London Stadium. It's not really suitable for football as far as mm. I was. Well, they ain't so got the it was, anyway. The view where we were right down the front of the lower section and it, the view was appalling. We were just yeah. we were saying we may as well have stayed at home and watched it on a big screen because that's what we ended up doing. We just couldn't see anything. The viewpoint that we had, we just couldn't see anything at the, mm. that was going on. Right, well, I suppose we better wrap it up because uh, we've been uh, here for some time and you probably all need a drink. There seems to be a few empty glasses there. And I know you probably want to get back to the bar. So um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to say thank you very much to Andy Saunders. Thank you, thank you to Rick Glanville, and thank you for making this book happen. And a really, really big, special round of applause to man. It's not just been about football, it's been about life, it's been about surviving. Good. He's been wonderful. I hope you've enjoyed having him here as much as I have. Mr. Paul Canavan.
Good night. And that's buy from him, and buy from him, and buy from him, and buy from you. Thank you. If you like this podcast, come and join me, Mark Webster, for The Whistleblowers, a weekly show that looks at the topics that all football fans are discussing this week at thewhistleblowers.net. And it happens to be brought to you by the same lot that produced this one. Sports Social Podcast Network.